Chapter 14 Zohar One of the oldest ongoing rabbit holes is the book called the Zohar. It is considered the backbone of Jewish mysticism, or Kabbalah, but its influence can be seen all over the occult world. I believe it will play a role in uniting Islam, Catholicism, and Judaism in the post-collapse New Age world. Zohar emphasizes the duality of light and dark, masculine and feminine, above and below. This ideology harkens back to the original monotheistic pagan religion Zoroastrianism. It's often identified with the Tower of Babylon and Nimrod. Spiritually and narratively, it seems inevitable that the satanic agenda will lead back to the original unification of mankind against God. Although its teachings are often associated with Neoplatonism, which is the worldview derived from Plato and his emphasis on physical reality being illusory, Kabbalah is mostly Babylonian. It tries to merge Zoroastrian beliefs with the scriptures to explain the nature of reality and the divine realm. The term Zohar means radiance, splendor, or shining light in Hebrew, which is fitting because Satan himself pretends to be an angel of light. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians 11, 13-14 The Zohar was a fraudulent work, but it spurred a revolution in occult study that persists to this day. It was published in the late 1200s AD by a man calling himself Moses de Leon in Spain, but it purports to be much older. De Leon said it was an ancient document penned by a famous Jewish sage during the Roman siege of the Second Temple in 70 AD. This legendary rabbi, known as the Rashbi, was allegedly inspired by the prophet Elijah to pass on these timeless secrets about the nature of God and the universe. That's all nonsense, of course. De Leon, or the group he represented, wanted to elevate the intellectual status of Jews in Catholic-dominated Middle Ages Europe, where Catholic and Muslim scholars routinely debated theological issues in their councils. Jews were marginalized at this time, and Jewish traditions were considered outdated. In daily life, Jews were being outright forced by Catholic authorities to convert to Catholicism in Spain, and these were known as conversos. The hoax of the Zohar was a brilliant ploy to get Muslims and Catholics to not only respect Jewish insight into the Bible, but propel Jews way ahead of their theologian rivals by creating a rabbit hole of mystical knowledge far surpassing even the New Testament or the Koran. Their claim about the Zohar originating in the Roman siege of Jerusalem was probably a reference to what was currently happening to the Jews at the hands of Roman Catholic authorities at that time. 
they were under siege again, but in a very different way. They stood to lose everything if they did not invent a reason to maintain their unique identity and sense of supremacy. Their plan worked, and Kabbalah has been its legacy. Zoroastrianism emphasizes fundamental contrasts between light and darkness, masculine and feminine, and higher and lower. Zohar uses this to lay out its own cosmic map of reality. At the highest point is a divine light from which everything else emanates or radiates. This light is God. As things get further from this divine point of origin, they become less transcendent or divine and more physical, vulgar, and expendable. Angels, which are close to God, are luminescent and almost perfect. They are unable to be seen because they are so spiritual and pure that they are not physical, while mankind is somewhere in the middle, created lower than angels but above lesser beings such as animals and insects. Yet in the Zohar, an important distinction is made between those humans who have received divine light within them, often interpreted as referring to Kabbalah-practicing Jews, and those who lack this divine spark, presumably the Gentiles, Christians, Muslims, and non-Jews. The details are deliberately fuzzy and open to interpretation, relying on coded language, so this cannot be said to reflect an official teaching. In mysticism, masters and high-level practitioners hold secret views that they deny in public, which naturally reflects their belief that higher things know more than lower things, which are in the dark. As humans try to ascend this Jacob's ladder toward God, they must diminish their physical body and natural instincts in exchange for becoming more intellectual and versed in the secret laws of purity. In the coming green world order, Zohar can be used to inculcate death worship among the masses. How? Because they believe that the physical body is evil, and that the goal of every human should be liberating yourself from it. Dying is the fastest and most effective method for making sure you never have a pesky, dirty, ungodly, and materialistic, smelly, and carbon-producing body again. The Zohar suggests that death is how one reconnects with the divine. No doubt Zohar has been incorporated into the New Age, or rather, New Age is a byproduct of Zoroastrianism, which also gave birth to the Zohar. Perhaps this would also explain the stereotype of New Agers being Jews who abandon their Jewishness. The Zohar sets forth 32 paths of life. These, they believe, allow them to ascend to enlightenment. The 32 points on the Black Sun logo of the Jesuits comes from this teaching, as does the 32 degrees of Freemasonry. Freemasonry, as we know it, was invented by the Jesuits, and the Jesuits themselves are a reinvention of a Spanish cult created 
by the children of the conversos who believed in the Zohar. They were known as Los Alumbrados, meaning the Illuminated. Being neither Jewish nor Catholic, they existed purely as an occult organization, pretending to be both Jewish and Catholic as necessary, recruiting relatives and friends into their depraved experiments of demon worship. Publicly, Los Alumbrados claimed to be possessed by the Holy Spirit, not demons, saying they were incapable of committing sins because all of their dark rituals, orgies, trances, convulsions, and sacrifices were done by God through them. How could vessels of higher powers be guilty? They were regarded as insane and dangerous, investigated by the Spanish Inquisition. But it survived until the time of the Spaniard nobleman Ignatius Loyola, who came along and founded the Jesuits in 1540. Loyola was investigated as a member of Los Alambrados officially, being followed around by women who had demonic seizures and called after him in the streets. His black-robed priests fulfilled the occult scientific revolution through the Rosicrucians in England and the Illuminati in Germany. And the rest is history. The Revenge of Babylon Nobody knows who the legendary Zoroaster of legend was exactly, but he is identified with Nimrod by historians. Biblical scholars agree it is unlikely that Nimrod was the actual name of the character we see mentioned in the Bible. He was perhaps the king of Babylon, and if so, it is significant that ancient Babylonians were Chaldeans, from whom Abram was called by God. The Lord said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Genesis 15 verse 7 It is possible that, like the name of Nimrod and so many other small details in Genesis, the city called Ur is wordplay meant to double as a clue about the bigger story. Ur is identical to the Hebrew word for flame or light. Flames were used in ancient Babylonian child sacrifice rituals. It was a forbidden flame, which the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob hated. Pagan occultists believe that the sacrificial flame is a source of illumination, knowledge, secret wisdom. The God of the Bible differentiated himself from Zoroastrian religion by respecting burnt animal sacrifice instead. There are even Jewish interpretations about Abram having been delivered by God out of literal flames, Ur, of the Chaldeans, i.e. Babylonians, Nimrod, like Daniel being thrown into the furnace and surviving. Certainly, we can see Babylon's influence all over the world, their Chaldean dominance, and the secret ruling class of astrologer-magicians 
sticking around in the Bible to the end. The idea that the Zohar would revive Zoroastrian beliefs is especially relevant because it validates the warnings God gave to the Israelites to make war against those who practice such idolatry and to, quote, flee Babylon. After King Solomon's death, the kingdom of Israel was divided by ten tribes going north. The two tribes of Levi and Judah stayed south in Jerusalem. The northern kingdom was wiped out by the Assyrians as a punishment by God for their idolatry, while the southern one was later taken captive by the Neo-Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar II. If you ever wondered why Israelites became synonymous with Judea and Jews, even though Judah was only one of the ten tribes, that's the reason. Judah survived destruction and spent a whole generation inside the very heartland of the Babylonian, Zoroastrian, Chaldean occult pagan society. Here they learned more about the ancient evil customs, picked up their teachings, and began to mingle their religions. Those who fled Babylon after it was conquered by the Persians returned to Jerusalem, but they had mostly grown up in Babylon. They hardly knew the Moses Law. Yet many more stayed behind in the city of Babylon, which fell under Persian, Greek, and then Roman rule. The sect that stayed behind even competed theologically with the more tradition-oriented Jerusalem sect. And this rivalry went on for centuries, long after Jesus Christ's ministry and the destruction of the Second Temple by the Romans. In other words, Babylon, and by extension Zoroastrianism, was not some distant memory for Jews. They did not universally despise it and want to return to their precious homeland to rebuild the temple and await the arrival of the Messiah. Babylon was an ongoing alternative that accepted the loss of the temple system. They instead turned to worldly power and the occult. The city of Babylon, which has long since been transformed into Baghdad in Iraq, represented a temptation to give up on the old promises of a Messiah and a worldwide kingdom based out of Jerusalem. Those who were zealous to return and set up a new temple hoped that the Jewish Messiah would arrive immediately and conquer the pagan kings. Instead, they faced a bitter struggle with almost no prophetic help from God, languishing in generations of doubt and falling prey to the corrupting influence of infighting sects who ended up as the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus arrived at a time of despair and corruption, pointing out their hypocrisy and the futility of their non-spiritual quest for God's approval. They failed to attain God's kingdom through physical rituals, physical temples, and emphasis on literal laws instead of holy principles. The Pharisees handed Jesus over to the Romans to be killed because he spoke against their temple system. They ruled over Jews by legalism. 
Babylon may have been wicked, but the false godliness created by the Jerusalem sect was no better. While the Sadducees maintained the temple system as priests, they were politically weak compared to the Pharisees, who made deals with the Romans and took on the role of interpreting the law. When the temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD, the Pharisees actually celebrated, because it removed the last obstacle to their full takeover of Jewish identity and life. They evolved into the rabbinic teacher system of Judaism, rejecting Messiah Jesus in favor of their own endless reinterpretations of Scripture. Their blasphemous oral Torah traditions became the only system that mattered anymore, and Kabbalah only deepened this slide into idolatry. The Zohar, therefore, represents the spiritual conquest of Babylon over Judaism in more than one way. Meanwhile, the Jews who stayed behind in the city of Babylon, today Baghdad, continued in their own traditions and seemed all the more legitimate by comparison with the ruined Jerusalem. The Zoroastrian-tainted, calendar-obsessed, mystical Jewish sages of Babylon may not have had much worldly power, but they would continue to have influence in Judaism all the way until the creation of Israel by the United Nations in the 1950s. Yes, some Jews lived and even thrived in the Muslim-dominated region for millennia. Synagogues would send money to the city and rely on them for teachings in return. This practice would eventually fuel the conspiracy theory that Jewish elites were secretly conducting global affairs from Babylon, despite more obvious Roman authority. In reality, Jews always struggled for stability, and their power added up to little more than preservation. They did not rebuild a temple, establish a kingdom, or invent a system of meaningful control over non-Jewish monarchs. Even the global banking system, so often attributed to Jewish cunning, was first innovated by Italian banking families like the Medicis, in cooperation with the Vatican during the Italian Renaissance. The Jesuits, who were neither Jews nor crypto-Jews, orchestrated the vast military intelligence network necessary for upholding the banking cartels. Catholic institutions have always been global and invasive, allowing deep insights into the heart of foreign affairs and opportunities, while Jewish banking families were lagging and sporadic in their strength. This was supposedly reversed with the rise of the Rothschild family, but I have written elsewhere about their fraudulence as a true world power. The Rothschilds were, I believe, an ostentatious front group chosen to deflect attention away from the much more powerful Jesuits, who were suffering international crisis of exposure at the time, culture conf, and needed the world to suspect somebody else. Footnote. Download my free PDF on the subject, Jesuit Invention of the Protocols of Zion, a Hypothesis, from my website, 
wolfpox.com. End of footnote. Mystery Babylon The Zohar is a powerful rabbit hole of deception, leading the occult world back to Babylon. As I've hypothesized in my previous book, Maybe Everyone is Wrong, the Whore of Babylon, described in Revelation, is a godless future Jerusalem, shown to have been totally taken over by satanic leadership. She herself is weak, but she rides on the beast, which is the world empire ruled by Rome. The horror arranges deals with the rulers of the world to kill true Christians and gets drunk on their blood. Then one of the seven angels with the seven bowls came and spoke to me. Come, I will show you the condemnation and punishment of the great horror who sits on many waters, peoples, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, made secret pacts, and the earth's inhabitants are drunk with the wine of her immorality. So he carried me away in the spirit to a wilderness, and there I saw a woman, Jerusalem, sitting on a scarlet beast, Roman Empire, that was full of blasphemous names with seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, precious stones, and pearls, she held a golden cup filled with detestable and unclean things from her sexual immorality. On her forehead was written a name, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of horrors and detestable things of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of those who testified to Jesus. I was greatly astounded when I saw her. Revelation 17, 1-6 It's disputed by Bible translators whether mystery should be part of the title of this Babylon horror, but I think it is appropriate. Mystery Babylon is perfect to summarize Zoroastrianism, carried on through the Zohar and Kabbalah. It is a Babylonian occult takeover, performed in the name of Jews, by actual Satanists, not Jewish at all. Rather, it fulfills the synagogue of Satan warning described in Revelation 2 verse 9 and 3 verse 9. I know thy works, and tribulation, and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews, and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Revelation 2, verse 9. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Revelation 3, verse 9. According to Jesus Christ himself, who gave these messages to the seven churches, it is not a Jewish conspiracy we see, but a conspiracy of satanic impostors who masquerade as Jews to incite a war against Christians. But she doesn't work alone. She sits on, relies on, 
the Roman beast system, which does the dirty work in partnership with her. After all, the beast was the one given power to make war with the saints and overcome them. And it was given to him, the beast, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Revelation 13, 7-8 She doesn't do the killing herself, but sits as a queen and fornicates with world leaders using occult sexual blackmail and spiritual pacts derived from Babylonian mysticism. She gets drunk on the blood of the saints, but does not carry out the tribulation personally. The partnership is between this future occult Jerusalem and the Roman beast system, which by now includes not only Catholic and Orthodox, but Masons, Illuminati, Rosicrucian, and Atheist Renaissance, image of the beast, governments. They will be the defining power of the end times. They will succeed in killing Christianity. And this will be the great tribulation seen in the sixth seal of Revelation. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 7, 13-14 As I said in the beginning of this book, Satan fears the gospel most. He promotes every kind of occult rabbit hole in order to steer people away from the light, to be reborn in the spirit and escape the blasphemies of false religion is to become unpredictable, dynamic, zealous, compassionate, and able to survive even the Noah's flood of ideas that I predict will rain down on us soon. Satan, desperate to prevent another revolution of true faith, will have no choice but to murder us again, like he did with those beloved saints recorded in Martyr's Mirror. What we see today is the preparation for that genocide.